Australia's unemployment rate is 4.2%, the lowest in more than a decade. And it's not too far off slipping below 4%, something that hasn't happened in half a century. But who deserves the credit? Economic management during the pandemic by the Prime Minister and Reserve Bank Governor? Or to quote ACTU Secretary Sally McManus in her tweet, that the reason why unemployment rates are low is because the borders are closed. Here to fact-check these assertions today are senior associates Alex Valentine and Will Mackey, who have evaluated the data behind these claims. Welcome, guys. G'day, Kat. Kat. So, Alex, given we've been in a pandemic and are still grappling with the Omicron wave, I was surprised to see the unemployment rate so low. Can we trust these numbers? Good question. Uh, One that doesn't have a clear answer. So at the start of the pandemic, the unemployment rate was not a good guide to how much people were working. So because of JobKeeper, uh, many people were counted as employed, but were actually working zero hours a week. And this meant that the unemployment rate was an unreliable read on overall employment and work. Uh, In this case, hours, so either total hours worked or say hours worked per person, was a better guide. When parts of the country are in lockdown, this is still the case. But the 4.2% unemployment figure is from December, when New South Wales and Victoria had exited from their lockdowns and Omicron was yet to really hit. So people generally consider that December number, uh, 4.2%, to be a fairly good indicator. So you mentioned that looking at the hours is useful for us here. Are people working fewer or more hours at the moment? What's the situation there? Other metrics that capture hours seem to support the low unemployment rate and strong labour market. Now, remember that people are counted as employed if they've worked even a single hour in the week. But a great measure is the underemployment rate. And this includes people who want to work more hours than they currently are. Now, it's at its lowest in about a decade. This indicates that people are genuinely working more and that the unemployment rate is not being driven by people just picking up a few hours here or there, but actually wanting more work. So this has been actually a big win for young people. Now, ever since the GFC, uh, employment outcomes for young people have been getting worse and worse. So 15 to 24-year-olds now have a much higher underemployment rate than the older age groups. So Graddon has written about this and so has the Reserve Bank and Treasury but it never really featured in the public discussion as much as it should. But this trend is finally turning around, which is great. But after saying all this, look, there's still a lot of uncertainty because, well, it's a pandemic. So it sounds like it's great news for younger people who are trying to get into the workforce or get that first casual job. Sally McManus has suggested that the border closure is what's driving these outcomes. I mean, what happens when we shut the border here? Well, there there has been a lot of confusion on this point. When you shut the border, uh, you both prevent people from coming into the country, but also you stop Australians leaving. And these two things have quite different effects, different kind of opposing effects. What we found is that if you stop people leaving Australia, um, you're going to actually generate more income for for people in Australia. Australians are going to spend more money um, domestically uh, rather than spending it overseas. And we, we talked about this in Grattan's Go for Zero report in uh, September 2020, um, but, it, but it is a kind of unexpected result. Overall, we've benefited from keeping Australians in the country 
kind of forcing Australians to spend their tourism dollars in Australia rather than, you know, on a trip to Barcelona or Bali. Before the pandemic, domestic tourism, so Australians spending money in Australia, accounted for 70% of all tourism spending. But Australia is also a net importer of tourism. So Australia, in, before the pandemic, Australians spent about $60 billion on holidays overseas. And there was about $50 billion, so $10 billion less, spent by international holiday makers in Australia. And so this like reallocation uh, uh, of, of tourism is going to pump more money into the Australian economy. Now, of course, you have the opposing effect. You have fewer people coming into Australia, and that hurts a lot. So you've got both tourists who come to Australia to, to spend money, and as I said before, they spent about $50 billion uh, annually. Uh, but you also have temporary migrants uh, who, who do come to Australia to work. Shutting the border means the new flow of temporary migrants has stopped. But it's important to realise that that, that number certainly hasn't gone to zero. So the number of temporary migrants who are in Australia uh, has not gone to zero. Before the pandemic, it was maybe 1.8 million temporary migrants in Australia. And now, or well, kind of after two years of border closures, there's 1.4. Our recent article in The Conversation, um, we, we kind of set to measure this like overall impacts. It's quite like messy impacts of preventing people from leaving and also preventing people from coming in trying to measure the overall impact on economic activity to find that, you know, on balance, shutting the border does lead to a slight kind of net positive in terms of how much money is spent within the country. And I mean, with the borders reopening soon, I mean, we will see the impact of that as well. And you must have been reading my mind, Will, because I have been Googling, you know, entry requirements to Bali just this past week and wondering whether I will maybe get an overseas holiday this year rather than just one to Benalla. Although I kind of want to dig in a little bit more to kind of the impact that we might see from border openings, we can't necessarily speculate about the future. Alex, Australia is a nation built on immigration, and we, and we normally do have a lot of people coming in. So some would say less immigration means more jobs for Australians, and I think this is a fraught statement that gets used politically quite a bit. But it's one we should address. I mean, is there any truth to this kind of statement? So the effect of fewer people coming in is, is really important to talk through. People coming in add to the supply of and demand for labour. Okay, what does that mean? It means that the number of jobs in the country is not fixed and having more people in the country means more mouths to feed, more gravel bikes to sell, more houses for rent, that's the demand side, more people buying stuff. Uh, you cannot know the effect of migration on unemployment without knowing how it changes demand for labour. And this is where everyone goes wrong. Now, if population growth slows down, which it has because we have fewer people coming in, uh, we should naturally expect that at the same time employment growth slows down because we've got fewer people in the country buying things. So the key point is that the number of jobs is not fixed. That's exactly right, Alex. And you don't, uh, I guess, have to just take Alex's word for it. You know, this is a, an area of great interest in economics literature. There's lots of economic research, empirical research uh, on this kind of relationship between employment or wages um, and, and immigration. And a lot of these studies look at the short run. And they look at the, the kind of a short-run labour market effects in response to a large shock. So this is like an, an, an unexpected and significant inflow of migrants. 
in that short run, uh, that's where a lot of the kind of controversial uh, economics of migration uh, literature, that's where the, that battleground is. Uh, you know, you're thinking of your David Card versus your George Borjas, both two, you know, pretty well-known economists um, uh, looking at the same data from a, a, an event called the Marion Boatlift where um, a large number of Cuban uh, people came to Miami. It increased the uh, Miami uh, low-wage labor supply by about 7% over a really short duration. So you can think of this like a shock. And David Card and George Borjas went back and forth um, trying to argue that there was or there was not a meaningful effect on the employment or the wages of the incumbents, so the people who already were in, in Miami before, before that shock happened. But both of those economists agree that in the long run, there is no effect. And that's kind of what Alex was was getting at, you know, this what we call that lump of, lump of labour fallacy where uh, there is not a fixed number of jobs. What happens when there is a shock? Uh, so an increase to the labour supply, you're going to get lower returns to labour than you would for capital. So for assets, for office space, for, for equipment, for things you need to actually do the job. And so this, this kind of adjustment process will play out over, over over the short term and in the long run, there's not going to be any effect. And then kind of a, a 2019 literature review, so it's by uh, Ito in, in, in 2019, but kind of looking at all of this short run literature uh, found that the impact of immigration on average wage and uh, on average wages and employment of native workers is null or, or, or slightly positive, kind of like no effect um, because of the reasons we were talking about before. In the short run, you, you might see some effect. In the long run, you won't. So kind of how quickly is this transition, I think, is uh, is kind of an important concept to think about. How quickly do we go from, from the short run to the long run? Um, and a few economists, um, for instance, Perry in 2016, argue that we make this adjustment really pretty quickly. And this is especially true in Australia. Lots of migrant workers who arrive in Australia already have jobs in Australia. This is the capital has already adjusted. They're not kind of arriving to Australia seeking jobs. The capital's already there. Uh, same goes for students and working holiday makers. So these are two groups of relatively low skilled workers um, coming coming into Australia. Some students work, not 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 all of them, but there is an entire ecosystem of jobs kind of for people, uh, for students, for working holiday makers. The effect of uh, a new student or a new working holiday maker coming in, the wages of incumbents will be null as, as that adjustment process has already happened. You know, big studies in Australia, you know, the biggest being from the Productivity Commission in 2016, you know, they find that there is no effect. There is no effect on the aggregate, you know, for, for people, for people in Australia as a whole, um, there is no effect of additional migration to Australia. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of why we find these things. So I think that's a really important point and one that I necessarily hadn't thought about before, which is the number of jobs is not fixed. So we don't necessarily have a certain amount of people and therefore a certain amount of jobs. Uh, people innovate. Um, also, people who immigrate also create businesses as well. So it's it's certainly something to think about. We still constantly hear about staff shortages around the country. And I mean, I'm sure both of you have been to a cafe or a restaurant recently to be told they're low on staff. I mean, I tried to pick up a package at the post office the other day and it was closed because they didn't have enough staff. What's going on there? 
Well, so what both Alex and I have been talking about is kind of the aggregate effects, you know, for the economy as a whole, how does migration usually play out? And what we have at the moment is kind of like a reverse shock. Like we have a, a negative shock to the number of um, migrants coming into the country, um, which is kind of, it's not often seen in, in kind of international studies and international literature. So we're, we're, this is kind of a, a new world for us. But we can think through what happens here. Temporary workers, so those are people who are on a temporary visa who can work in Australia. So we're thinking of working holidaymakers. Students are allowed to, well, before the pandemic, are allowed to work 20 hours a week. Uh, New Zealand citizens who are allowed to come over and work an unlimited amount in Australia, uh, and then temporary skilled workers. So they're the old four, five, seven. Now the temporary school shortage visa holders. So these are the people who are, you know, usually in Australia, but now not. Temporary visa holders don't work across the economy equally. Uh, so you see lots and lots. About sixteen percent of the total hospitality industry is made up of temporary workers. A lot of them are New Zealanders. But kind of about half are either students or working holiday makers. Now, both students and working holiday makers have seen a pretty significant decline in the in the kind of the numbers of people who are in Australia. So there's about half as many students, international students in Australia as there was before the pandemic, uh, and working holiday makers are down about ninety percent. So that kind of labour force has, you know, in the in the scheme of things, overnight flipped from one hundred to zero. And these workers are not distributed equally throughout the economy. And within each industry, they're not distributed equally either. And so you can have a, a business that utilise working holidaymaker visas, utilise student visas, as in kind of employed these people, and they're used to employing these people. And now that kind of that, that labour supply has very quickly turned off. And so you can see... Despite, you know, despite the fact that a student will come into Australia, spend money, create demand for jobs, and may also um, work a job themselves, kind of, although that happens at the aggregate, for a particular business, if they can't find an employee that they would, um, that they would usually hire, then they are going to kind of suddenly look around and say, the people we usually, um, we usually employ are not here. What do we do? You see this acutely in the horticulture industry or, you know, agricultural industry more broadly, but you know, we're thinking about backpackers picking fruit. If working holiday makers, um, if they are no longer in Australia, the people who usually pick the fruit are no longer there, that is going to lead to a real supply shortage, an acute supply shortage for, for a farm that would usually traditionally use that labour. Now, if this tap was kind of turned off, if, this, if there were no longer any working holiday make a visas or they you know weren't forced to work on a farm um that's like their farms will adjust you know they may adjust in the short term by raising prices um in the longer term they may use more capital so using machines to pick pick fruits rather than um rather than labor or they may hire um people on other visas or or or, or incumbents people um australians and permanent residents and so you will we'll see this transition over time that will happen, but in the kind of in the immediate term, because we have seen such this big negative shock that has been, you know, that has been targeted uh, so so clearly in a specific subset of industries. You will of course see businesses 
crying out that, that they have they don't have workers where they previously did. We're seeing the impacts of that, especially with things like um, you know the food shortages in the supermarket and things like that. We we really do see a visible impact of of that big shop there. With the closed borders, though, Alex, I mean there are fewer people in Australia than there would have been, but businesses are still seeing a demand for products. So why is that? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? What's plugging that gap? As we were saying, uh, overall, the closed border has actually boosted demand, has boosted the economy by keeping people in. But we went and did the numbers and there was an elephant in the room, fiscal and monetary stimulus. We went from the government trying to push the budget into surplus, which is contractionary, it weighs on the economy and jobs, to the government and the Reserve Bank pulling out all the stops to keep the economy chugging along. And look, it's it's hard to exaggerate just how much stimulus they've added. There has been JobKeeper, there's been temporary boosts to JobSeeker and pensions, uh, the Home Builder program trying to encourage people to build new homes, various tax breaks for business. Then there's the state government cash payments to households and businesses. Add that in with the Reserve Bank cutting interest rates and providing $188 billion of cheap loans to the banks and then going out and buying $350 billion of government bonds. Stimulus has been huge. And the stimulus has an effect on the economy by boosting demand, right? And that flows through into keeping people in jobs. And we wanted to run the numbers to make sure that this logic checked out and in case we were missing something on borders. And it just the numbers just don't stack up. Borders just pale in comparison to this fiscal and monetary stimulus. So in doing that fact check, you really have found out that it is the stimulus package and the economic measures here over and beyond closing borders that is really keeping that unemployment rate down. Yeah, exactly. And look, that's what we want people to take away. So, you know, what is affecting the economy? Yeah, okay, it's everything, right? Borders do have an effect. It's just a really small effect. And we are very certain that no matter how you run the numbers, stimulus is just doing more. Stimulus is doing more than the border closure. Um, Now, with the unemployment rate, New numbers are going to come out on Thursday. That's going to be for January. That's likely to show worse outcomes because we've had the Omicron wave. You know, but underlying that, the labour market looks pretty healthy. And so if the health risks are associated with the pandemic kind of, you know, abate, we should be in a good position. And it's really important to remember why. It isn't because of the borders it is because of fiscal and monetary policy. Thank you so much, Alex and Will, for myth-busting some of the things that we've heard recently in the news and really just shining a light on uh, the actual uh, reasons behind our low unemployment rate at the moment. We'll be really interested to see what happens on Thursday when we do get revised unemployment figures, and I look forward to hearing your insights on that particular topic as it comes up. If you'd like to follow us on social media, please say hi at Grattan Inst on Twitter and Grattan Institute on all other social media channels. Likewise, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe on your favourite podcasting app, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, we really hope you're doing well 
and thanks so much for listening.